Hi there, my name's Adam, and I got a couple questions. Do you like playing Magic? But do you find that life gets in the way sometimes? Do you find that you would really like to improve, but you're not sure how to work around life's general struggles, whether it be finances or regular adult responsibilities? I'm in that same boat. I'm trying to figure it out just the same as y'all are. So get in, buckle up, and join me on this trip down the homeward path. This show is brought to you in part by PureMTGO.com, the, one of the largest collections of magic content on the web. They've got content for any format that you're interested in, so go over there, check that out. And while you're browsing the web, make sure to head over to our parent network, ConstructCriticism.com, and check out all the fantastic content by much more reputable creators than myself. But for now, get in, buckle up, and enjoy this trip down the homeward path. Now, before we get started, I wanted to take a minute to address the elephant in the room, that being the fact that we have not put out an episode until now, the 22nd of January. And if I'm being honest, there's a lot of reasons for it. But the number one reason is because we've been going through, as I've mentioned on the show on several occasions before, several sort of financial hurdles and it's been a lot of stress and a lot of mental fatigue and it has not left a ton of time to play magic on top of that my partner has just started their first job since march of 2020 and working night shift on sunday monday tuesday and every other saturday so we're trying to get into the rhythm of the new routine and i do not function well until i'm comfortable with a routine (laughs) So I promise uh, reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated, or at least slightly exaggerated. And, you know, we're, we're here, we're in a decent place. So let's talk about a format today that I have always been interested in, but always been kind of on the fence about even like wanting to look into because of the inherent cost in paper. And maybe y'all can figure it out as I get started talking here. So let's dive into Budget Spotlight, where we're highlighting this week just an uncommon, a rare, and a mythic, and the reason for that will become apparent here before too long. These are cards that I feel like are worth more than the price that they're asking for them right now. The prices come from CoolStuffInc.com for paper and MTGOTraders.com, the sponsor for our sponsor at PureMTGO for magic online play so our uncommon this week is soul ring and for those of you who don't know what soul ring does first of all what have you been doing with your life and second of all it is a single generic mana artifact taps to add two generic mana or taps to add two colorless mana that's it that's all it is it's one mana for two so like at its worst mode it's at least as good as desperate ritual right like it gives you a one mana shot in the arm The price tag on this thing right now is $2 in paper and $7 on Magic Online. This is the de facto identity of the Commander format. This is the first card that comes to your mind when you think about fast mana. Like, everybody talks about Commander. You're like, that one person always gets the soul ring into Signet draw and just drops a load on us on the second turn. Yeah, there's a reason for that. This card has been reprinted into the ground in paper, and it still commands a $2 price tag. It fits in every deck. Even with the MTGO price hike, there's no reason for it to be be this cheap. It is sort of the, the 
standard, if you will, of like the line between your mana rocks that make as much mana as they cost and starting to trend towards the more competitive side of it where you start getting into the really expensive ones of cards that make way more mana than they cost. So in that vein, I love Soul Ring. So if you're, you know, if you're starting to build a commander deck from scratch, don't forget to get one. And make sure you get them before Brian Canada buys his next round of them, because I th I'm pretty sure he is single-handedly helping keep the price of this card up. <laughs> Moving on to our rare, the rare this week is Protean Hulk. And this is another one of those, if you don't know what this card does, and you play any format that it's legal in, I mean... The fact that you haven't scrolled over this card and built a deck, at least in your head, is a little bit troubling. But I digress. It is, I believe, 5 and double green, 6-6. Six, six. I think it has trample. I can't remember that part. Like, none of the combat abilities matter. There's nothing on this card matters except what it does when it enter, when it dies. Uh, when Protean Hulk dies... You go get any number of creatures from your library with total mana value six or less and put them onto the battlefield. It's total mana value six or less, not total power six or less, total mana value of six or less. The price tag on this is $9 in paper, and here's the part that blew my mind. It is a penny on Magic Online, one singular penny. And if there's a convoluted method of winning the game involving multiple creatures and you need to go get them all at once, it's got you covered. The more you see this, the more you play with this card, the more competitive your decks are going to become because you're going to become interested in optimizing the number of ways you can get it into play, get it back onto the battlefield, and get it back in the graveyard so that you can keep looping it. Protean Holt Loops are one of the foundations of CEDH, and one of the reasons we're here today, like, I love me some Protean Hulk. I remember old extended format jamming Protean Hulk with uh, Careful Study, Mental Note, uh, Footsteps of the Gorio, and just going at the end of end of turn, you, Footsteps of the Gorio, go get, uh, get your Protean Hulk back. It sacrifices itself at the beginning of the end step, and you go get Carrion Feeder, Body Double, Body Double enters the battlefield as a copy of Protean Hulk. Sacrifice Body Double, go get Revelark and Bile Urchin. Sacrifice Bile Urchin to ping your opponent for one. Sacrifice Revelark to get back your Body Double and your Bile Urchin, and you just sit there and loop. And, I mean, that's really all there is to say. It is so obnoxious how powerful that is. Like, and that's deliberate protean hulk usage i've seen someone just sort of accidentally stumble upon infinite combos in their decks before where they just start putting stuff into play and they're like oh wait no everybody's dead and when you can get something like that for nine bucks in paper or a penny on magic online it's it's worth your it's worth your money uh last but not least we have our only actual commander on the list this week and Winota, Joiner of Forces, and if you did not play Standard over the past year, first of all, good for you. Second of all, this thing would, was one of the dominant factors in it, even after all the bans and the nerfs and the other stuff that went on in the format. This card is bananas. 
Winota Joiner of Forces is a four mana. It's four red and a white for a four four legendary creature human warrior. Whenever a non-human creature you control attacks, look at the top six cards of your library and put a cre a human from among them onto the battlefield, tapped and attacking with indestructible until end of turn. I'm going to say that again. Every non-human creature you control that attacks gives you half a collected company, except instead of it being any human with mana value three or less or any creature with mana value three or less, it's just any human out of your top six cards. And you get that for each non-human that attacks. That's ridiculous. Winota is $5 in paper, $4 on Magic Online, and this girl is not just for 60-card formats. She can put a bunch of disruptive elements onto the table, locking opponents out from being able to combo out everyone else. And then ultimately you can set up a scenario where some of the stacks pieces you've got on the battlefield are themselves non-human and you just swing, get a bunch of triggers and floop like blade historian and Angrath's marauders onto the battlefield. So all your creatures have quadruple strike and kill everybody. I mean, for five bucks, you can't really go wrong with that. So that's going to wrap up Budget Spotlight for this week. And unlike previous episodes, this episode does not contain a Brew of the Week because we are talking about a format that I have not gotten to play. And I know that's a little bit weird for me to be talking about it, but when I started doing research on it, just out of interest, I said, the heck with it, I'm going to start looking. I really wanted to share some of this because the stuff I found was fascinating and even though i don't get to play it, it it sticks in my head it's something i'm really going to be interested in doing and it weirdly enough helps in other games so with that in mind we're going to be talking this week about cedh or competitive edh it gets a little bit of a bad rep right everybody assumes it's this weird amorphous hybrid between legacy and vintage where everybody just tries to murder the table as quickly as possible you know, it's everybody dies on turn three. It's a turn three format. Everybody dies. And to an extent that can be true, like you can absolutely just, oops, I killed everybody because I drew all my fast mana and my hand was perfect. Or I drew all my fast mana and like enough tutors to kill everybody. That's great. Good for you. You did it. Great job. But even with that in mind, it's always been a format that's fascinated me from afar. And part of that probably has to do with the fact that I've always loved the idea of vintage for the same reason. Like, everybody's powerful, everybody kills each other fast. So, like, how you respond to that is as important as, like, what you're doing, which is really cool. But with that in mind, I decided to really put in some work and dig deep into what makes this format so unique, objectively enjoyable within the magic community, even though there's a sort of very vocal contingent of commander players that will never, ever, ever touch CEDH. So let's go through and talk about sort of the basic ground rules for the format. Every deck must, by definition, because you're competing, if you're competing, the goal is to win, you have to be playing a way to win the game. And that's not like your regular commander decks where you're just hoping to do your thing and your opponents don't interact with it at all and you just like eventually get to get enough stuff out and accidentally kill somebody as the last one of the last two people standing. No. 
you are going into this game, you are going into a game of CEDH with the express goal of killing the other players at the table. You're not trying to not lose. You're trying to win. From a pure efficiency standpoint, this usually means some sort of a combo sequence, whether it's an infinite combo or just doing a whole lot of something that kills everybody else. Because, again, from the pure efficiency standpoint, there's really not a better way to take down three other players. And that's the mindset you have to be going in with. You, you are killing them. You want to kill all of the opponents. You want to leave no doubt as to who's winning this game. Rule number two is every deck needs to be consistent. They have to function on a consistent basis. You're not going to get those decks that never do the same thing twice. They're not cut out for this life. You can't have non-games due to poor mana. So, you know, in CDH, there's a reason, one of the main reasons I don't play the format is the unbelievably prohibitive cost uh, between getting original dual lands, fetch lands, reserve list cards, and all the, you know, the obnoxious, expensive, fast mana for the format. It's just not something I can do in paper, and it's not something I'm super comfortable doing on Magic Online without a way to leverage into you know, events and getting back some sort of a return on the investment that I'm doing. That being said, if you have the money to spend and it's a format that you've got enough people locally that are interested in, you can absolutely try to talk to your store owners about doing commander FNMs and make them CEDH. But again, you can't, your deck has to function on a consistent basis. You can't have non-games due to poor mana. You can't have non-games because your draw's a little too slow because you didn't build your curves right. And you can't have non-games due to just drawing the wrong half of your deck. Every piece has to feed into the way you win the game somehow. You will die and die early if you stumble. And last but not least in sort of the general ground rules... The perception surrounding the format is that because every deck plays combos or stacks pieces, then those are the only two archetypes and everything else is unplayable. This is both true and not true. And let me explain that. In doing my due diligence for this episode, I dug in and found a wealth of theory about the format. And if you've been following the show for a while, y'all know I love me some theory. I like digging in and finding new ways to think about magic and just anything in general. I like finding new ways to think about stuff. But once you accept that every deck has some sort of a quick kill mechanism, you realize that access to a kill condition like that is not the defining purpose of the deck, which is to say, one of the four sort of macro archetypes from the competitive landscape gets thrown out the window because everybody's a combo deck, right? If everybody's a combo deck, being a combo deck isn't an identity. It's important to realize that. If everybody has access to the same sort of power level of kill condition, well, that changes the rules of engagement because you can't be an aggro deck that doesn't interact and expect to win unless you do it really fast and play a combo. You can't be a mid-range deck that tries to eke out value and like one and a half for one your opponent into the ground, either because your threats are so efficient it takes that much to remove or because you know your opponent is exchanging 
card for card, but you're leaving a little something behind. Like you can't do that because your opponents can just kill you. And as a control deck, you can't just one for one until you find a window to wedge in a big, powerful card draw spell because your opponent can just kill you. Instead, the focal point of your deck tends to fall into one of the big three archetypes. You're an aggro mid-ranger control deck. But the defining characteristic of your archetype is not how you approach the game of magic. It's how you approach the fact that everybody has a combo and like how you interact with that fact. Which is to say, because everybody can kill quickly, the thing that separates one archetype from another isn't the speed at which you kill someone or everyone. It's how you plan on dealing with it when someone tries to go for it. In that way, and this is kind of an interesting point to bring up, CDH is an awful lot like Yu-Gi-Oh! from the standpoint of diversity. In the sense that, you know, anyone who's looked at modern day Yu-Gi-Oh, you, whether in light of Master Duels coming out, or in my case, just having a friend who drugged me back kicking and screaming into being interested in the game, you know that every deck is fast. Every deck can just OTK you if it gets to go second and does not, you know, like, you don't disrupt it. But understanding that fact and living with that fact and building your deck around that fact, either by trying to be faster than them, by making a blind second deck, or by uh, playing disruptive elements to slow an opponent down so that their end board is less powerful and you have a better chance to break it and make the game go a little longer. It's the same theory, that because everybody can kill quickly, it's how you respond to the threat of being killed quickly that defines what your deck is. So, with that in mind, let's look at what those big three archetypes are about. If you're an aggro deck in CEDH, you are about pure, unrelenting speed. You are trying to kill everyone as quickly as possible. You are the linear combo deck. You want to do what you do as quickly as you possibly can. This manifests most typically in decks that have commanders who are part of their kill condition because it means you need less cards to combo off. Like one of them is in your hand at the beginning of every game, essentially. It also means being very, very deliberate with every single slot in your deck in the sense that you don't have cards that don't feed some way to kill the opponent, either in terms of mana sources to get you to the point where you can cast a whole bunch of stuff or in terms of your cantrips, uh, card draw tutors, ramp, like everything is about setting up a kill condition. This can mean stuff in your deck with cheap tutors to quickly sculpt your ideal hand, or more frequently what this really means with the aggro decks is playing several different combos, some of which get to share pieces in an effort to more reliably draw opening hands that you can look at and go, oh, this is how I kill everybody, okay. That could be, you know, an is it deck that's playing both, pester, you know, playing Pestermite, Kiki-Jiki, Splinter Twin, Deceiver Exarch, uh, or if you're playing like Jeskai Colors, you get all of those cards. You also get Felidar Guardian, Sahili Rai, and like 
all most of these cards work with each other to create it like if you get restoration angel kiki jiki you kill everybody if you get restoration angel uh if you get splinter twin and pestermite or deceiver exarch you win the game uh you get i mean you get felidar guardian you can win the game because you move the splinter twin to the new token every time you make a new one when it re-enters the battlefield you target a new like splinter twin plus felidar guardian makes infinite tokens and kills everybody like so your goal is to play either as linear combo as possible make sure you can get to it reliably or play enough different combos that most of which use the same cards that you can just more reliably draw an opening hand that shows you one. And in that vein, you are the, you're the one setting the pace of the game. You're the one they have to be scared of. So moving on mid range is not the mid range you're accustomed to. To be a mid-range deck in CEDH is to play the role of a tempo deck in 60-card magic. You're using cheap disruption to either force through or protect your win condition, but you can leverage that disruption a couple of different ways. And bear in mind when I say disruption, I'm talking about two key elements, and that is counter magic or stack interaction and uh, stacks, pieces, ways to stop your opponent from interacting with you. You know, either shutting the door on them being able to respond at all or being able to respond to their response and kill them. Against opposing aggro decks, because your deck is maybe a little bit slower, you've got less win conditions in your deck, you've got to spend a little bit more effort to get everything set up, you're probably playing some extra counter magic or, you know, whether it's cards like Blue Elemental or Red Elemental Blast, if you're not playing access to actual blue cards, Guttural Response, whatever, or you're playing cards like uh, Surak Dragon Claw, so that my creatures can't be countered, or uh, Leer Disciple of the Drown, so that none of the spells can be countered, so that you can just force through your thing. Against opposing aggro decks, you use the disruption to protect yourself. And then you want to create a window to try to win. Or failing that, you put some sort of a powerful snowballing engine on the field. And that's not like a mid-range deck in Standard or Modern where you're putting down something like a Liliana the Veil or a Dark Confidant or a, you know, a Baneslayer Angel or, you know, this card that's just kind of big and gradually will pull you ahead a card or a card and a half at a time. Now, if you're putting down a snowballing uh, card... That thing needs to be really powerful if you get to untap with it once. Against control decks, you use the time afforded by the combination of your starting life total being at 40, so if your opponent's trying to just chip away at you, like, you're fine with that. And the relatively passive gameplay of an opposing control deck, which is to say, if you're both worried about disrupting the opponent, like, you're not going to go for anything super early, because you don't want to get blown out and lose your win condition. You want to sculpt a hand that can kill the table and protect itself. Like, you you have a little bit more time to do that. But the idea with the mid-range deck is to have maybe not infinite combos, right? Like, maybe you're just a, a Turbo Crater Hoof deck or, a, 
you know, something that just puts a lot of something on the table very, very suddenly, but you need time to set it up. You know, maybe you're a, a primal surge deck, but in order for primal surge to go up, you need to be able to protect it and you've got to have enough stuff lined up for it. Maybe you're a uh, Perforos deck and you just, you need to untap a couple of times with Perforos on the table to be able to kill everybody by, you know, blinking your Avenger of Zendikar or by uh, reviving it a couple of times or by uh, casting Storm Herd with Perforos on the table. Like, whatever the case, whatever your win condition is, you are a little bit slower, and when your win condition works, it kills everybody. But because of the fact that you're a little bit slower, you've got to keep the fact that several of your opponents are going to be more interested in a faster game in mind and play to that. So you're trying to be the aggressor against the control deck because your combos, I mean, you're, you're trying to kind of straddle the line. You've got enough combos that the opposing control deck needs to be worried about you, but you've also got enough interaction to maybe help keep the aggro deck at bay from killing everybody within the first 10 minutes of the game. And then last but not least, speaking of the control decks, as a control deck, similar to your game plan in 60-card magic, your focus is on making the game longer. And you want to try to create a state where your opponents are exhausted for resources. Now, resources in CEDH is not the same as resources in 60-card magic or even regular EDH because it's not about card advantage. It's about whether or not you can stop me from killing you. So the more interaction you waste on my disruption, the less you have for when I try to kill you. That's the mindset you're going into uh, control decks with. You want to force the opponents to play their interaction on cards that don't matter in the sense that they don't win the game. And your opponent, you know, is trying to dig for the last piece they need to win. So you fight fight them over, you know, the peer through depths or you fight them over the, uh, the big card draw spell, you fight them over whatever, right? You know, you're just, you're trying to make them fight over something that isn't the game. Having said that, obviously it's much harder to be a traditional control deck in CEDH as you can spend resources to stop one person and then the next one will kill everybody while you're tapped out. As such, this is usually where your stacks and tax pieces come in. You get time. They're, it's not that these stacks pieces are broken inherently. It's not that they're more powerful than anything else. It's the idea that they are important. They're necessary evils to keep opponents, especially aggro decks, from just running away with the game while the rest of you are trying to get your hand figured out. And instead of trying to focus on fundamental turns, you're trying to identify choke points. You want time to identify what your opponents are playing so that you know what you need to be able to stop. Are they a graveyard deck? Are they a storm deck? Like, what piece do I need to be able to just stop you from killing everybody? Do I need rest in peace or do I need Leyline of sanctity? Do I need... Uh, to fairies protection and just let you kill everybody else. Right. That's all uh, honestly one of the cutest combos I've ever seen. Just a little tangent for uh, 
not CEDH, at least I haven't seen anybody build it in CEDH, but that's not really saying much. The Lethal Vapors to Fairies Protection combo is hilarious. For those of you who don't know Lethal Vapors, you can pass your turn, or you can skip your next turn in order to destroy it for zero mana. And then the rest of the text on the card, I think, is whenever a creature enters the battlefield, destroy that creature. So any player can pay the zero to destroy lethal vapors, but in exchange, that player skips their next turn. So as the player with vapors plus protection, you stack infinite to, uh, lethal vapors triggers on top of each other. Each one of them will resolve skipping your next turn. Because skip your next turn is part of the cost. And then you cast a fairy's protection so that until your next turn, you have shroud, your life total can't change, uh, and your opponents can't, or it's you have shroud so they can't target you to make target player lose the game. All your permanents phase out, and you, your life total can't change. So they can't, like, they can't deal damage to you. They can't make you lose life. They can't kill any of your stuff and they can't interact with like, if you get this thing off, what happens is you get to get up and go make dinner or get up and, you know, go do whatever else you got to do while the rest of the players figure out who's going to win second, because eventually you've stacked enough triggers that your opponents are going to deck out before they can kill you because you don't exist in the game until your next turn and you've skipped infinite turns. So it's just, just cute little, you know, we're talking about a control CEDH deck and uh, that just feels very much up the control alley. That feels like a salt mine of a win condition if I've ever seen one. But remember, while you may lose the card advantage war as the control deck, given that you're fighting three other players, you win by continuing to play the game and you will eventually find a way to jam through some way to win. Wrapping things up and kind of trying to tie everything off in a neat little bow. CDH is a format that, in my experience on the, the Twitter side of Magic and in some of the communities I've been a part of over the years, it just, it's kind of been reviled by a pretty sizable portion of the community. And some of it's for good reason. Like, it's really expensive in paper. To give you an idea of how expensive this format is in paper... I dug up one that was supposed to be budget CEDH lists and the, the site's owner would not accept submissions that were less than 500 us dollars in value because he didn't feel like they would keep up. There's also not any major events to win and recoup your investment. Like, you know, you play F and M with it. You can win F and M for every F and M that you play in commander you know, one a week for the next three years and not get back all the money you spent on that deck. And then the style of gameplay is just not for everybody. Like it's really fast and cutthroat and like, it just kind of turns a lot of people off. At the end of the day, some folks want to stick to their pet cards, their quirky strategies or just the plain old jank. And really that's okay. I'm not here to tell you how to enjoy magic. At the end of the day, it's ultimately about having having fun. 
It's about an experience. And different people achieve that in different ways. Everybody has a different story they want to tell. So that's all I've got for this week, everybody. Again, I hope you enjoyed this sort of trip down the lane of CEDH. If you want more CEDH content, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe on the channel. Uh, I will be more than happy to do some research and come back with some more sort of in-depth theory analyses. Uh, Again, if you want to reach out to me on social media, you want to get in contact with the show, you can do so on Twitter at HomewardPathMTG. You can do so on Facebook through our group, the Homeward Pathfinders. If you like what we're doing enough to help us keep doing it, head over to patreon.com slash homewardpathmtg. This show is always going to be free. But if you like what we're doing and want to help me keep doing it, head over there, become a patron, and take advantage of the reward system that's in place now. I'm in the process of getting that fixed. Right now, the baseline is a dollar to become a patron. And at a dollar, you get access to the Discord. And in the Discord, we are doing, I'm going to be resuming the streams in February. Uh, Once weekly, probably either once weekly or every other Saturday while Amaris is working. Uh, I'll probably do the streams after I get the kids to bed. Uh, I will be recording at some point during that time. That's like the best time frame for me is Saturday nights. So... (laughs) Uh, either the patron stream or the podcast recording is going to happen then. And then the other one will happen on Sundays. So, uh, but that's at $1 a month at $3 a month, your deck gets pushed to the front of the line for brew of the week. You gain access to like, I want to play these decks. I I want more people to collaborate with, and I can't do that if y'all aren't patrons. I just, I can't do that to the people who've supported me for so long. And at $5 a month, we are going to write you your very own episode. We're going to talk about what you want to talk about all the way from what cards you want spotlighted in budget spotlight to what brew you like to what the main topic's going to be. You call the shots. I just, I just read your notes. (laughs) So that's all I've got for this week. Again, thanks everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And with that in mind, remember, at the end of the day, kindness is the most important thing. Be kind to one another. Always try to be nice. Never fail to be kind. So laugh hard, play magic, be kind, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>